So as a church, we are reading through the Bible in two years. <clears throat> and um, we, did it, we did it back from, what year are we in? 2022? Yeah, we did it from 2020 to the end of 2021, didn't we? And we read all the way through from Genesis right through to Revelation, a couple of chapters every day. And on a Sunday, we would talk about the bits that we had been reading. Um, and uh, and that, that was amazing. And I, I don't know about you, but when we got all the way through the scripture, it was so incredible to have read all of God's word together, to have spent time hanging out in home groups, talking about it, questioning it, discovering more of God's character. And so we've done it again. Um, and we started this year, 2022, back in Genesis, only this time... This time, we didn't go all the way through the Old Testament first and then the New Testament because some, some of you thought that was hard going. Like Leviticus and Numbers and, but I mean, uh, so this time what we've done is we've done a book of the old, a book of the new, a book of the old, we're jumping backwards and forwards. And, and the hope is that this time, as we go through, you will start to discover that, that, that it's all one story, right? About one God who's on one mission to reveal his love and his glory to the people that he made and loves, right? To redeem and save them. And it's always been the story right from the beginning, right through to the end. And so we've been jumping backwards and forwards. We did Genesis, then John, and we saw the links between creation and how John thought that what Jesus was doing was bringing about that new creation, restoring that Genesis uh, story of Eden. And then we went back to Exodus and we looked at Matthew and we saw how, how Jesus is the new Moses, right? And, and we looked at all of that together. And then we went back and we hit my favorite book, Leviticus. Whoop, whoop. Yes, um, and, uh, and we saw how Leviticus, right, was the gospel of the Old Testament. Remember that? How at the start of Leviticus, they were outside of the presence of God at the end of Exodus. But at the start of the book of Numbers, suddenly Moses was in the presence of God. What happened? God made a way. And that's what the book of Leviticus was all about. God making a way for people to draw near to him. He's the same God and he's doing that and has done that in Jesus for us now as well. And so now we're in uh, the letter to the Romans, um, which I think is like the Leviticus of the Old Testament, right, of the New Testament, sorry. It's, it's the New Testament version of Leviticus, I think. Why? Because it's the gospel, just boom, out there. At the beginning, you are out of God's presence. All have fallen short. None are righteous. But as we go through, we discover that Jesus, uh, he has made a way for us to know him and come into his presence. It's the gospel all over it. I love it. Uh, and last week, Emmanuel he, he took us through chapters one to eight and we just, we covered all of it and it was incredible, right? We drew out, he drew out all that stuff, all of what was going on, what God was doing in each of those chapters. Um, and this, this week, I just want to read to you just two verses. Is that all right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, are you sure? Just two? <laughs> yeah. So turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and let me just read verses one and two to you. Probably you know these verses, right? So familiar with them, lots of us. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Who wants to know what God's good, pleasing and perfect will for their life is? Come on. Yeah. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who is consistently revealing yourself, showing up in our world, showing up in our lives, no matter what the mess, no matter what the struggle, no matter how dark it is at times, you keep showing up, you keep shedding your light, you keep bringing your glory, you keep calling out to your people and calling them near to you. Thank you that that's who you are. Thank you that that's what we've discovered as we've been reading through your words so far this year. And I pray today, God, that for each of us in this place, today we we would come that little bit closer. Today, as your word goes out, that we would hear it. Not just the words that I speak, Lord, but by your spirit into our hearts, that the breath of of your word would come and speak to us. And God, that we would be drawn nearer to you, that we would start to know more and more what your good, pleasing and perfect will is for our lives and for your church. We ask this in your name. Amen. Great. Um, I had a little freak out earlier this week because um, I've just had this passage on my heart uh, for the last couple of weeks. And I was like, I'm so excited about bringing Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And then I suddenly realized, I was like, oh man, I think that like the last time we read through the Bible and we got to Romans, I did Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And I was like, oh no, I'm just going to repeat myself. So I went back to the podcast to the 4th of July, 2021, and I listened to my message about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and I breathed a huge sigh of relief, because I did preach on it, but we only got as far as, therefore. <laughs> so we've got the rest to cover today, is that okay? <clears throat> Maybe we'll make it past, I urge you, um, so, and we'll save the rest for two years' time. So, uh, so, so um, if you, if you want to hear what the therefore was, uh, or if you missed Emmanuel's one last week because he took us through all of the Romans, therefore implies what I'm about to tell you is intrinsically linked to what I've just told you, okay? So everything that I'm about to tell you is because of what has already been said. So if you want to know about what's already been said, go and listen to the podcast on what Emmanuel spoke about last week, or go find the July the 4th, 2021 uh, podcast, which is entitled The Message of Romans, um, and you can listen to it there. But really quick flyover for you, just to catch you up, the therefore, chapters 1, 2, and 3 basically say, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, and there is not one of us who is righteous, I don't know if you felt righteous when you woke up this morning or walked in, but Romans and the scriptures are clear that not one of us is on our own merit. We're not. And, and, and then it goes on in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 and it says, but, but through Jesus we are all justified through faith. Through faith in Jesus we are justified. Come on. Uh, Chapter 5 goes on to tell us that Jesus has given us peace. In the Hebrew, shalom, literally friendship with God. He he has made a way for us to be restored and become friends with God again. In in chapter 6, it tells us that he has uh, taken us from death into life. He has made us dead to sin and alive with him. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? That's chapter 6. Chapter 7 tells us that Jesus has set us free from the law, from all the things that can be put upon us. Jesus has set us free. Uh, Chapter 8 goes on to tell us uh, that Jesus has given us life in the Spirit. Wow. 
uh, and that, that he has made us more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That's what Jesus has done for us. Um, and chapter 9, or verse 16 of chapter 9 tells us this, that all of these things, they don't depend upon human merit or human effort, but wholly on the grace of God. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. There's nothing that you can do uh, to earn your way back into his presence, to be restored, to, 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 to leave behind your sin and embrace all that he has for you. You can do nothing by your own merit. Nothing that you do. How many of us try so often to, to, to get ourselves to that place? And, and how many of us, maybe, maybe you have grown up in a Christianity that tells you that you must, you must, you must, you must, you must, and you're const- constantly trying to earn the favor of the Lord. But the scriptures tell us this, there's no way to do that. It's just because he loves you, because he loves you. That's his grace. And then chapter 10, verse 9, tells us simply, how do we receive all of that? By believing and confessing. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him up from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. Believe and confess. And he has done it all. Isn't that good news? Come on. Wow. Wow. So then we get to chapter 12. Okay, and, um, and we get to the therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what's Paul talking about? Everything that we just said. Therefore, because of this, because of your state and because of what Jesus has done, because of his love, because of his grace, because of his mercy, I urge you now to do something. What is it that he's urging us to do? Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will know God's good, pleasing and perfect will. Wow, I want to know that, right? When you think about all that Jesus has done for us, why would you not want to know more of him? Why would you not want to step into more that he has for you? Why would you not want to know his good, pleasing and perfect will? I do, and I want that for our church. I want that for us. So the question then is, how? How do we get to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? And so we're going to spend just a little while unpacking these two verses. We're going to go in reverse order, okay? We want to end on how to know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's backtrack through the the two verses, and let's see what they tell us about that. Let's start with, um, so verse 2. It says, do not conform. Do not conform. So I did a little, uh, a little dictionary search on conform. What does it mean to conform? Um, and essentially what conform means is to comply with or to go along with or to slide into. To just find yourself going with the flow. To conform, to become like everything else around you. Do not conform. He says, do not slide into or go along with. How easily do we do that? Do you find yourself doing that? Sometimes, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and um, they're saying something that you don't really agree with, but by the end of the conversation, just for the sake of ease, you've just slid in along with what they're saying? Maybe you feel like you do that most Sundays when I'm talking to you, I don't know. Uh, but but, but do, you, do you find that? It's easy, isn't it? That's just a really simple example. There are many other things that we could look at. I don't have time to dig those up. But you know, 
right? You can probably think, I know that I can, I can think of things over the last week, the last month, the last year, where I found myself just sliding into something. We so easily slide into things, don't we? You start at the top and the quicker you, the more you go down, the quicker you go down, right? You build up that momentum, you just slide into it. You know, Jesus never slid into anything. He did not conform. He did not comply. He did not just find himself going along with. In fact, people tried to push him into all kinds of things. What do you think about this? You you know, there are many places where Jesus gets challenged. um, And it's so easy for us just to read what we read and not necessarily understand what was going on in the cultural context. Uh, But for example, there's one place where he gets quizzed on, on, um, on stuff to do with marriage. Okay, and divorce. And, and we think he's just answering a question on divorce. But if you actually start to read about the cultural context, what you'll start to understand is that there were different views on, on, on this. Okay, there was this group that believed one thing and there was this group that believed the other. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, which group do you conform to? Which group do you go along with? Do you go along with the teaching of this rabbi or the teaching of this rabbi? And Jesus just knocks it out of the park, doesn't he? He says, let's just get back to the scriptures. You know that in the scriptures, it says, in the beginning, and he just goes right back to what the word of God says. He does not conform. Man, I'm challenged by that. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that. How often do I find myself in a situation where I could slide into something, but do I go, hang on, what does the word of God say? Am I going to stand on that like Jesus did? Do not conform. Do not conform to what? Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Let's let's have a look. What does Paul mean by the pattern of this world? Chapter 1, verse 28. Furthermore, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a deprived mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. I don't know what you start thinking of when you you hear things like that, but my mind jumps like immediately to the worst possible things, yeah? When I hear the word wickedness. But as you start to read down this list, Look at some of these things, okay? To every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder. Okay, yep, that's a bad thing. Strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us have found ourselves in a situation where suddenly you start thinking, hmm, is this gossip now? Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I never did that, did I? (laughs) She's leaving membership. (laughs) No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) Disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also they approve of those who practice them. Okay, maybe we don't do any of those things, 
But how easily do we just go along and accept the things that other people do and say, oh, that's just them. That's okay. They're all right. They approve of those who practice them. Uh, Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. In case you hadn't had enough of the kind of heavy stuff, let's go for a little bit more. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. I just, I'm just going to put this out there and be really clear what the Bible means by sexual immorality. Okay, because I don't know if you're, maybe you think, oh yeah, that's, that's for the people involved in orgies and doing whatever else and sleeping around with hundreds of people. But sexual immorality in, in the biblical context is this. Any sexual activity, any, outside of the marriage of one man and one woman for life in the eyes of God. That's sexual immorality. That's what it is. So, heterosexual couple, not married, playing around, sexual immorality. Just in case you thought it was just the really wicked stuff, okay? <clears throat> the acts of the flesh of sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, we don't do that anymore, do we? We don't carve out wooden idols and stick them up and bow down to them in, in our homes and light candles around them. No. But idolatry isn't just that. Idolatry is when we put anything, anything, we, we give it more importance in our lives than God himself. So, so maybe, maybe money, maybe your family, maybe your friendships, maybe your job, Anything that you place higher in your heart than God, anything that is more deserving of your time than him, that's, that's idolatry. You've made something an idol. Okay? Uh, witchcraft. No one's got a black pointy hat on, so we're all okay. Uh, that's not just what it means, though. I mean, witchcraft, this word in Greek, if you go back and look at it and you see the various translations of it, it, it can literally mean to, to, to mislead and coerce someone. To lead someone in witchcraft, to, to, to coerce them by some means of magic or just lying or, okay? Uh, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. Man, d- discord and dissensions. Are we, as God's people, one in this place? Or are there pockets and groups that are rubbing against each other in a way that isn't loving? That's discord and dissension. Um, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Do not slide into those things. Do not just slip into them. I don't know about you and maybe you're sat here and you're like, well, I would never do any of those things, Matt. But I look down that list and I think there's quite a lot on there. If you really get to grips with what they are, there's quite a lot on there that's easy to slip into, right? There's a lot on there that we can find ourselves just slightly stepping over the line into. And um, it fascinates me because, because if you look at the book of Romans, you go back and look at chapter one, who is this letter to? It's to believers. It's to the church. 
It's not to those who don't know Jesus. It's to those who do claim the name of Jesus over their lives. Paul's saying to them, don't do this stuff. Why? Because it was rife in the church. Some of this stuff was happening. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll discover that there there was a man sleeping with his father's wife. <laughs> Like, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And Paul's like, this is not the way of Jesus. Do not slide into that. Do not conform to that. Why? Why do you not conform to that stuff? Why? Because Paul's not writing to them because he's getting angry at them. He's writing to this church because he loves them. You go back and you read chapter one and you read the way that he addresses them and you you read his heart for them throughout it. He loves this church. He wants them to thrive. He wants them to know the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And, And so he's writing to them about this stuff because these things get in the way of us knowing the good, pleasing and perfect will of our father. They get in the way. You're not going to ask you to put your hands up. I'll put it up for you, okay, because I've got mine up for this one. But how, how many of us sometimes have found ourselves doing things and then afterwards gone, wow, I feel so far from God now I've done that. <sighs> Why can't I hear his voice? Why aren't the scriptures speaking to me? Why is it that my prayers don't seem like they're being answered? Because I've slipped into other things that get in the way. It's like they close the door on the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul's saying that. Um, Back in Galatians, uh, right after Paul talks about this stuff, by the way, just so you can see a little bit of his heart here, okay? Um, Right after Paul talks about this stuff, at at the start of chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, Brothers and sisters, like those that I'm family with, right? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You see, Paul's serious about this stuff, but he's not hitting them with it, right? He's loving them with it because he's serious about them knowing the will of God in their lives. And so he's saying, hey, if if you notice this is going on in your community, get alongside one another and gently restore each other. Because my heart for you is that you would know the good, pleasing and perfect will of the Father. So... Don't conform, don't slide into the pattern of this world, all of these things and many other things we could pull out of the scriptures, okay? Why? Because they, they stop us knowing the good, pleasing, perfect will of our Father. But how then? What, what comes next? Don't conform, but be transformed. But be transformed. Uh, the word in the Greek is metamorpho. I think that's how you say it. That's how I'm saying it, okay? Um, it's where we get the term metamorphosis from. Okay, and, and it, literally, it, it literally means this. It means um, a marked, profound, complete, and more or less abrupt developmental change. Like you were that, and boom, you are that. Anyone any good at doing that themselves? <laughs> no. When I get stuck in things that I struggle with, and I try and get out of them, I often find that I, I, I find myself deeper in them. Anybody else with me on that? Like the more I try to get out of something, sometimes the more I find myself trapped and bound by it and weighed down by it. It's not easy just to be transformed like that. But but I love this um, because the Bible has many words for this, okay? Things like be born again or um, throw off the old self and put on the new self or to be raised up to be resurrected. And that's what we're being called into here, to move from death to life. Um, 
And uh, what I love about this is the wording here, be transformed, not do transformation. Do you see that? Do not conform, be transformed. The first one was a command. Do not. What you need to do is make every effort not to slide into those things, but be transformed. See, the implication here is that someone's going to do that for you. Someone is going to transform you. The transformation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Transformation is something that God does. Our job is to close the door on the ways of the world so that the door is open for the Spirit to be at work in us, transforming us and renewing us and bringing us to life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit. So we are transformed. But how are we transformed? It goes on and says, by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's interesting, uh, in the Bible it says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What, what that means is that what comes out is because of what's in here. Okay, and, and throughout the Old Testament you, you will discover that verses that talk about the heart. But in the, in the Hebrew mind, uh, in the Hebrew way of thinking, the heart is the decision-making center of the body. Okay? So the heart is where decisions get made. Not this muscle that pumps blood, but, but the core of who you are, the very heart of your being. That's what it's talking about. The heart is where thought comes from. Um, and, and so the mouth speaks what is full of. We need to be transformed, not outwardly, but inwardly. Because if we're transformed inwardly, what we do outwardly will start to be different. I think we get in this trap sometimes where we try and change our actions. If I can just do this differently, if I can do that differently, they'll look at me differently. They'll think about me differently. I will be different. But that's not true. In order to be different, you actually need to be different. You you need to be different inwardly. If throughout the scriptures uh, you, you discover this phrasing where God says, I will take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God literally wants to give us a heart transplant. He wants to renew us inwardly, to renew us and make us whole again. Uh, if you cast your mind back to Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, you'll discover this in the teaching of Jesus. You see, Jesus says things like, um, you have heard it said that if anyone goes off and has extramarital sex with someone, then, you know, that's bad, right? But I tell you, I tell you, that if someone even looks at a person lustfully, they have already committed adultery in their heart. Because Jesus knows that what we do outwardly starts here. And so he says, this is where we need to deal with it. Inwardly, inwardly. He says, you, you, you've heard it said that anyone who murders someone should be, you know, X, Y, and Z. But Jesus said, I tell you that anyone who even hates their brother or sister, that's something that happens inwardly, is guilty of murder. Because what happens in here comes out. This is what Jesus wants to renew, to make you new, to make you whole again. So how does this happen? Well, as we move back up through uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we discover that this happens uh, as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You're thinking, what? (laughs) Sacrifices die, don't they? 
You, you want me to die? Yeah, that's what Jesus said. Take up your cross. That's not just a nice ornament that you put around your neck. That's a method of execution. Take up your cross and die to yourself. Why would we do that? Because of God's mercy. Because we have seen the God that raises the dead to life. So I'm not afraid of dying. It might be a bit painful. It might, be, it might hurt to lay myself on the altar. But I have a God that will bring me to life again. Amen? Put yourself on the altar. It says, uh, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy to God and pleasing to God. That word holy means to be set apart. What's, what's Paul asking us to do? In view of all that he has done for you, set yourselves apart for him. Set yourselves apart for him. Your whole life, your whole body, put it on the altar. What are you doing when you set yourself apart for him? You are making space in your life for him to come and work, right? For him to make you new, for him to make you whole, for him to set you free. That's what we are doing when we set ourselves apart for him. We're making space for him to work. Listen to the words of Jesus, right? Jesus said to his disciples, come, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus did not say, come and follow me and do your best to become fishers of men. That's not what he said. But so often we are still trying to do it ourselves. Jesus said, come and follow me. Set yourselves apart from me. Come and be with me and I will bring this about in you. I will do it. I will do it. All that we need to do is to be with him, to be with him, to make space for him. Uh, in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it, it tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that renews us. That it, in John chapter 14 um, verse 26 and 16 verse 13, Jesus says that it is the Holy Spirit that will teach us all things, that will renew our minds and make us new. Um, if you've ever looked into any kinds of therapy, you might have come across CBT. Um, and um, I'm not a therapist. Let me just put that out there and say now, everything I'm about to tell, tell you comes from the internet and conversations I've had with other people. Uh, so CBT, essentially though, if I've got this right, works like this, okay? If you want to bring about change in your life, it says this, you, you change a behavior which changes how you think, which changes how you feel, which ultimately leads you to acting differently, which brings about new thought, which brings about new feelings, which ultimately brings about new behavior. Do you see that, that cycle? Now we can do that down into a spiral of sin. We keep stepping into and conforming to things, or we can do that towards Jesus, towards Jesus. We can set ourselves apart for him. We can put our bodies on the altar. That's the, the change in action so that the spirit starts to renew us, okay? That's what our vision is all about, guys. I feel like it's been a while since I've said these words to you, but this is it, okay? We want to be with him. We want to learn from him. We want to become like him, okay? This is discipleship to Jesus. We're not going to become like him or learn from him unless we start by being with him, yeah? That's the first thing. Put yourself on the altar. Come, follow me. Set yourself apart for me. That's what it is. 
So how do we do that? Okay, I, I don't just want to throw some big ideas out there for you. I, I want to give you some practical stuff. How do we do that? Uh, there are loads of things that we could say, but one of the things that I want to just bring up today is something that we call spiritual disciplines. Okay, everyone heard that term before? Yeah? Some of you nodding, some of you looking blank. Not sure if that's because you're sleeping with your eyes open. or No. Um, uh, spiritual disciplines. Okay, spiritual disciplines. They are disciplines. They are rituals. They are actions. They are things that we do. Okay, so um, one of my regular disciplines is... Oh, she is in here. She knows this anyway. I was just looking if my wife had gone out with the youth, but no, she's here. What, oh, one, of my, one of my regular disciplines is to get in my car at lunchtime and drive to McDonald's. It's a discipline. It's a regular thing that I do, you know, to feed myself, okay? Um, but other, other disciplines, other disciplines, people have all kinds of disciplines, don't they? Things that they practice, things that they do in order to get better at something or whatever. Now, spiritual disciplines are things like, let me list a few off for you, reading the Bible. Praying, tithing. Okay, let me just tell you, tithing, we'll do a preach on this one day, okay? But tithing isn't about you giving to the church like you give to a charity. Tithing is about you putting Jesus as head of your finances, okay? It's not about this place, it's about him, okay? Tithing. Um, fasting. That's one that I keep meaning to try. Um, <laughs> fasting. Feasting, that's one, that I'm good. that's one that I'm good at. Feasting, okay? Feasting. Um, forgiving, forgiving, confession of sin to a brother or sister. That's one that we're not so good at, right? All of these things are spiritual disciplines. What makes them spiritual disciplines? Well, you could just say that they're normal disciplines. They're just actions, things that you do. What makes them spiritual is that these things, when we do them, we are not doing them to achieve something ourselves. We are doing them to open the door and let the Spirit of God achieve in us that which we cannot. Yeah? It doesn't matter how often I, I read my Bible or how often I do X, Y, or Z if I'm not in relationship with Jesus. But when I do that in relationship with Jesus, it's like it opens the door of my heart and it lets the Spirit come and do what I cannot. I cannot tell you how many times I, I have noticed this in my life. I could, uh, day A and day B, okay, on, on one day, I could hit exactly the same uh, difficult situation, annoying person, trial, trial, trial to get through, whatever it is, I could hit the same thing on day A and day B, okay, but on day A, I read my Bible, and on day B, I didn't in the morning, and I can tell you that on day B, I had nowhere near as much patience or peace or strength for that situation as I did on day A. And I can't tell you why, because there's no magic formula, right? All I did was get up that morning and say, before I do anything else, God, I'm just going to read the scripture. And, and the scripture I read had nothing to do with the annoying person or annoying situation or trial that I went through. It didn't have any particular wisdom for that thing. It just suddenly I started my day in the presence of God and it made me different. It renewed my mind. And so I want to encourage you guys. Start thinking about, if you're not already doing it, start thinking about picking up some spiritual disciplines. Start thinking about ha having what you might call a rule of life, a, a daily, weekly, and monthly discipline. Start there. Have something that you're going to do every day. Maybe you say, every day, I'm going to start my day by reading the Bible. Before I even pick up my mobile phone or do anything else, I'm just going to read. I'm going to set aside 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is for you, and I'm just going to open my Bible where I left off the day before, and I'm going to read. 
and then I'm going to put it away. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe your weekly one is fasting, something that Emily and I have been talking about. And, and um, maybe your weekly one's fasting. Maybe you say, right, every Tuesday, I'm going to fast. I think often we think fasting has to go with prayer, like intercession for something. Have you ever caught that kind of narrative? And, and it can be used like that. But that's not how Jesus sets up in the scriptures. It's just something that he does. It's just something that the people of God do. Because, uh, because when we do it, somehow the spirit is able to work in us. Wow. So maybe you just say, right, I'm going to fast all day, or I'm going to fast my lunch, or I'm going to fast from when I wake up until sunset, and then I'll eat. I'll break fast at that point. However it works for you, but maybe you say, right, weekly, I'm going to start doing this, not because it's going to bring about anything that I can do, but because it might just open the door to the presence of Jesus in my life. Maybe your monthly one is fasting. Maybe you're like, I can handle that once a month, maybe not once a week. Okay? Or maybe it's tithing. Maybe once a month, okay, I'm going to give of my money. On the day that I get paid, before I do anything else, before I figure out all my bills, I'm going to give this much to God and see what happens. See how the Spirit of God starts to change the way I think about my money, change the way I think about being generous to people, change the way I think about how I live all together. Who knows? Um, Yeah. Maybe you're sat there thinking, why would I do any of that? (laughs) Why would I do any of that? Why? Two reasons. One, because of his mercy, because of everything that he has done for us, because he has brought us to life. So let's live it (laughs) his way, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, because of his mercy. Reason two, because we want to know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. Because the more we engage with these things, the more we trust him, the more we live the way of Jesus, the more we start to experience the presence of Jesus and we start to know him more intimately and we start to discover the joy and the freedom and the hope and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the blessing that he has for us. That's why. That's why. Maybe some of you... um, I sat there thinking, well, that's, that's great, but I don't know what will happen to me if I start doing those things. I don't know what will happen to me if I choose to not conform to those things. If I stop being sexually intimate with my partner who I'm not married to, what will happen to my relationship? Will, it, will we grow distant? Or maybe you trust God with that. And trust that his way brings about life and fruitfulness. Maybe I don't know what will happen to my relationships with the people I work with if I stop going to those parties and drinking with them to the point of not remembering how I got home. (laughs) I don't know what that will look like. Well, Well, maybe try and maybe see because maybe those relationships will die But we have a God who raises the dead. And I wonder what he'll bring to life in you if you put to death those other things. If you crawl up on the altar and you trust him. We're going to share communion together. And um, I just want to invite you as we do this, uh, as we do this,
This is an altar, right? You've heard me talk about altars being tables before. This is an altar. So I want to invite you, come to the altar and sacrifice your life upon it. Join Jesus in his death that you might join him in his resurrection.